Tonight, if you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, we're only going to be looking at the first 11 verses of this chapter tonight, and there's a reason for that, because I want to take this opportunity to talk about something that I think we often forget. Even as children of God, and even as God's people, even as the beloved of the Lord, the blessed of God, uh, even as pastors, even as lay ministers, as worship leaders, even as Sunday school teachers and nursery workers, even as people who spend an inordinate amount of time of their day studying God's Word, even if you are walking with the Lord like nobody's business, you still have an enemy who hates you. And that enemy who hates you wants to destroy you. And you are not immune. Irregardless of how long you walk with the Lord, irregardless of how much you do for the kingdom, irregardless of, of your value, in essence, to the Lord in areas of ministry uh, or, or, or things that you do that you honor the Lord in, you are still, the moment you say yes to Jesus, you have, in essence, painted a target on your forehead, and it says, please hit here. You are in the crosshairs of the enemy. And as we come to Daniel chapter 6, and as it begins to unfold, you would think, and here's our natural response as human beings, you would think as human beings, as we rationally look at Daniel's life, as we look at what he's already been through, as I said last week, he's still in that period of time. He's going to shift a little in the next chapter, but he's still in that period of time where he's roughly 81 years old. He's 81, 82 years old. He's been in captivity since 15 years old. He has served the Lord faithfully for those 66 years. He has walked with God in tremendous diversity. He's been delivered already. He has stood for the Lord at great cost to himself. Uh, he'd be one of those guys you could look at and go, man, he's, you know, he's like Billy Graham or Pastor Chuck or Charles Wesley or D.L. Moody or somebody that you can think of that is, has walked with the Lord for a tremendously long time, has served the Lord. There's no stain on their record. There's no blame against them. They haven't been caught in some scandal. There's been no evil things that have stuck on them. They, they have characters that are impeccable. You would think that person... God would just overshadow and protect and gather in and hedge about with some angels and throw an extra company in for good measures because they do so much for Jesus. Amen? That's our human thought. And I'll tell you, this is a huge problem in the body of Christ, and Satan is able to pick people off because of it. Because people think that if I tithe or if I go to church regularly or if I... You know, I'm involved in ministry somehow, and I serve in the church, or, 
you know, I go into the mission field or I make it so some missionary can go in the mission field, that, man, as soon as I do that, and probably most of you in here, if you're honest with yourself, at some point in time you not only have felt this way, but you've acted this way, I'll make a deal with God. I'll just do more, and he'll just protect me from everything. My finances will never be hindered. I'll never go through a divorce. I won't have anything bad happen in my life. I'll get free of this cancer. We think those things. I'm here to tell you tonight, that's not true. And the Bible says it's not true. And tonight what's going to happen is we're going to see Daniel with a real adversary. And that adversary is going to be named initially. But what we're going to talk about tonight is beyond that. Those satraps, bosses, that demonic host and their boss, Satan, that seeks whom he may devour. And he's after you. He's after me. He's after every church that preaches the name of Christ. He is after every organization that stands for the Lord. He hates our guts, and he knows exactly where you live. Good news. Jesus said it. Fear not, for I have overcome the world. Amen? So we're going to see Daniel facing a very real adversary tonight in chapter 6. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, we thank you that you don't deliver us from every trial. You don't take us out of every situation. And you allow bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people. But at the end of the day, every second that we're on this earth, Our God reigns, and you are sovereign, and we trust you with our lives, and and we want to honor you in, in spite of the times that maybe things are not as we would hope or wish. And so, God, tonight as we study your word, pray that you'd set your people free. Lord, if they're in bondage to thinking that things need to always be good, set them free. If they're in bondage because they believe that they're they're cursed, then set them free. For God, you are indeed greater than he is in this world. And Lord, we believe that and we honor you and we thank you for the testimony of the prophet Daniel. And as we study your word, Lord, cause it to have sense and meaning to us. Instruct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Daniel 6, and it pleased Darius. And, And again, I want to remind you that Darius is likely this guy's name. Uh, He is uh, king over this region. He may not be the king of Persia, so to speak, at this point in time. It's likely that that is Cyrus, and Cyrus has named Darius. It's also possible that Darius is a title, much like Herod is a title in the New Testament. There were a bunch of Herods. There was Herod Antipas and so on and so forth. So it's unimportant other than Darius has been proclaimed now the, the governor, the prince, the king over this region. And so it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. And that word could be translated actually more like a governor, might even be a, a, a mayor, but it is a, it's a ruler that has some power and has some authority. But they're under Darius. And so to be over the whole kingdom. So the kingdom of Babylonia, which has now been conquered by the Medes and the Persians under Cyrus, 
This guy Darius is now, in essence, the ruler of this region. He appoints maybe some governors to take over the various parts of the Babylonian Empire. And now it comes to these guys. And three, and they use the word governors. It's really higher than, than what we would think of like a state governor. It's probably more like a secretary of state would be a good way to describe it. It would be a very, very, very high-powered authority that these three men have, greater than we would think of a governor of a state. It would be higher than that. And over these, over the 120, so if you take Darius and you take these three men, of which whom Daniel is going to be one, and you take Cyrus, who is the actual king of the Medo-Persian Empire, these are the five most powerful people in all of Persia. These are very influential guys now. And so of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. And so he establishes governing authority. Daniel is in the top five most powerful people in all of the Persian Empire with regard to the area of Babylonia. He is a powerful guy. He's actually stepped up a notch in power over what he had with Nebuchadnezzar, if you will, because it's now a larger region. And so Daniel has, in essence, been promoted yet again. But I want you to notice something here that's very important. These, these satraps, these governors, if you will, but these men who are, who are taking care of these various provinces of Persia, uh, might give an account to Daniel and two other guys. So when you look at it from a practical standpoint, this is rather like the whole president's council, if you will, his whole cabinet coming back and reporting to the vice president or the secretary of state. That's where Daniel is now. Now remember what we saw in the last chapter. Who alone establishes kings and kingdoms? The Lord God in heaven. Amen? So we know God's in this. God has once again allowed Daniel to be exalted to a position of authority. So we know God's done some good things in Daniel's life. And so as this begins to, to unwind before us tonight, it is unbelievably important that now you look at this from a very personal standpoint. This is why it's important to you. If God allows, in this case, these things that are going to unfold to happen to somebody like Daniel. And we ourselves are children of grace, and God's appointed us ultimately to be as kings and priests in the kingdom. Amen? You may not know this. Maybe before tonight you'd never thought of it, but you also hold a place of honor in God's kingdom as a child of God. And one day, Scripture says, you will in fact come back to rule and reign on this earth with Christ. So if Daniel has a target on his head, and Daniel has lived 66 years on serving the Lord, and if Daniel is going to once again be put in harm's way, what do you think your chances are of staying out of harm's way? Pretty much zero if you're doing anything for the Lord. 
And we need to understand this because it is not as people often talk because they're in essence trying to convince one another that, oh, well, I want you to, to, to give your life to Christ. So we try and make it seem like everything will be roses. It's not true. Not a, as a matter of fact, the opposite may in fact be true by our experience for most of us. I, I can show you this. How many of you have had bad things happen since you gave your life to the Lord? If I had another arm, I'd stick up three of them. All kinds of stuff, yes. How many of you, another chance for you to raise your hand, how many of you felt like you've had things happen to you you didn't deserve? Another hand in the back. I got three of those, too. You you see, I'm trying to get you to think through this because you need to understand the principle in play here. Because if you don't understand the principle in play, you walk into the situation, here's what happens. You're doing good for the Lord, you've given your life to Christ, there's all these things, and you're not cussing anymore, and you're not smoking anymore. You've gotten out of the relationship, you haven't shot up heroin in three weeks, you haven't robbed a bank, you haven't done all these things... Thank you, Jesus, for most of you. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're sitting there thinking, you're so, man, I've arrived. I've arrived. And now I'm going to walk on clouds for the rest of my life, and nothing bad will ever happen to me. Because I've been so good, because this is what the world says. The world says if you do good, you get good. Amen? It's what the world says. You do all these things, you climb up the ladder of success, we impart that to our walk with the Lord, and it is not true. So here's what happens. You do all those things, and all of a sudden, after you've given up smoking, and after you've given up drinking, and after you've given up cussing, and after you stop fornicating, and after you stop shooting heroin, and stop robbing banks, you get cancer. Now you're going, there's no such thing as God. Because your view of God would be wrong. You believe that because you've done all these things in Christ's name, that you're immune to having bad things happen in your life. And the first thing you do is you walk away from the Lord. Be strengthened in your walk with the Lord. As a Christian, bad things happen to really good people. Pastors get cancer and die. Pastors have heart attacks. Pastors have strokes. Pastors have families that fall apart. Even in the ministry, I'm not immune. You need to remember that. Because when the time comes, when the heat gets turned on in your kitchen, if you know that, then you won't be tempted to blame God. You will assign the blame where it belongs to your enemy who hates your guts and wants to kill you. That's who's going to be in view tonight. And let's pick up again once in verse 1, one more time. We see the adversaries of Daniel. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them, to the three, who ultimately would talk to Darius, who would talk to Cyrus the Mede, the Persian, the king of the region, so that the king would suffer no loss. Again, very high, very authoritative, extremely influential 
position. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of the excellent spirit that was in him. So it gets even worse from a human standpoint. So not only is Daniel one of the top three guys, he's the top one of the three. That makes him the third most powerful person in the Persian kingdom. You see where this is going? He does that by showing himself excellent. What it simply means is he's doing his job, and he's doing it well, and they even give an account that it says spiritually he's different than the rest of the people, so much so that he stands out. That's why I started this the way I did. And so an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought of setting him over the whole realm. He's about to be promoted to vice president of Media Persia. Okay, He's that close because he's doing the right thing, too. Not just because he's climbing up the ladder of success, not because he's overly ambitious or wordy. He simply is different than everyone else, and he stands out. So the governors notice this, and this is where you need to start taking very specific note. Just because you do well does not remove you from the crosshairs. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Because he's being righteous, for the very reason that he stands out, for the fact that there is a different spirit in him, all of a sudden these guys that are supposedly serving with him and underneath him go, oh, we can't have that. Family of God, this is you, and this is me. When you begin to live your life in such a way that you stand out, the world's going to come unglued. You're going to lose friends. You're going to have family that hates you. You're going to have people at work that don't like you, and they are going to try and destroy you, destroy your character. They will badmouth you, belie everything that you say. They will attempt to destroy your character, and they will seek to have you out of the picture. And here's why. Because as long as you're there, there is a witness of the light of the love of the Lord, and it shines on darkness, and when it does that, their evil deeds are exposed. And so he says, they sought to find something wrong in the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault. Can I encourage you later, maybe this week, to read the first chapter of the book of Job? The story is exactly the same. So much so that about Job, God says, not Jeff says, not the Bible says, as far as it's recorded in the oldest book of man's literature, God says about him, there is no one on earth as righteous as Job. You getting the picture here? So he says, but they could find no fault, no charge, because he was faithful. That's what we all want to be. We all want to be faithful. I want at the end of my life for it to be said about me that I was faithful. I may not be great. I may not have the biggest church. I may have not preached to millions or taught hundreds of thousands. I just simply want God to say, well done, good and 
faithful servant enter into my kingdom of rest. Because quite frankly, I don't care what position I have when I get there as long as I get there. Amen? So you're in this group. If you're being faithful, you have a target on your forehead. They couldn't find a fault. They couldn't find a charge because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. And then these men said, notice this, then these men said, so at first they're looking for something that's legitimate. Family of God, the longer you walk with the Lord, the fewer legitimate things are going to be in your life that people can point out. Initially, it's kind of hit and miss, right? You give your life to the Lord, and you're really doing good to not be using, you know, some swear word every other word. That's really good for you at that point in time. But the longer you walk with the Lord, people are looking at your life and they're going, man, he just, it's just so horrible to be around him because he's, he's perfect. She's perfect. She doesn't do anything wrong. She talks Christian all day long. She talks Bible all day long. He has been loving the Lord and his people and the lost for 40 years, and we just can't find any fault. Notice what happens. It doesn't stop the enemy of your soul. It does not prevent him from trying to end your career in ministry, whether it's in your home or in a church somewhere or at the workplace. And then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Because he has so turned himself into this, this guy that's serving the Lord, there's no physical faults in him. He lives his life completely righteous, so we're going to find something that he does specifically because he serves his God. Very important passage to you. There will be time in your life, if you are walking with the Lord, you are faithful to the Lord, that very specifically, because you walk with the Lord, you're going to get attacked. Because you have that desire to serve God, you're going to get attacked. Daniel's skills were in administration. And so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. They are plotting Daniel's demise. Daniel has been faithful to the Lord. Their plan is to use his walk with God against him by creating something that will cause him grief specifically because he's walking with the Lord. It's huge. It's gigantic. And it's very freeing. Now, before we go a second further, let me also say, not everything that you get into that's a problem is because you're holy. Some of it's because you're an idiot. Some of it is because you are sinful and your heart is desperately wicked. Still, who can know it? Some of it is three component parts, really, as far as Scripture speaks. You have three basic components of your enemy's plan against you, and that is the world itself, everything about it, 
is tainted by the enemy, and its systems are working against you. That's why when you look at the tax code, you go, that's satanic. The world. Then you have a little part that we rarely acknowledge called your flesh, my flesh, because there is still your flesh at work. Amen? You have fleshly things you think of. You have fleshly desires. You still have the capacity to sin. You are redeemed of the Lord. And let the redeemed of the Lord say, I, amen, we're redeemed, but we are not complete yet. Amen? Still works in progress, all of us. So you have the world. You have the flesh. And then you have one last component part, very real enemy, the devil himself. And the devil... Your flesh and the world are all in cahoots. And they all hate your guts. And they're a formidable foe. And they're constantly looking for ways to tempt you, to get you to sin against God, to go against your conscience, as we've been studying in 1 Corinthians, and to get you to live a life that is not pleasing to the Lord. Do not forget that. And so here Daniel comes to this place in his life. Now notice how it begins to unfold. And all the governors of the kingdom, it says there in verse 7, and the administrators and satraps, the counselors and the advisors, have consulted together. So they go concoct a plan. Daniel's been living righteously. His whole life speaks of the Lord God whom he serves. There's no wicked found, wickedness found in him. These guys go concoct a plan. They walk into the, into the king. O oh, king, live forever. We are here, your humble servants. And no, oh, by the way, we have to tell you something right now. They begin to unload. The counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, because you're really great and we love you, and we pay homage to you, and every morning when we get up we say, O great world, we love you very much, thank you for all that you give us, because they worship the world and everything in it. They worship their flesh and all about it. They worship, in essence, Satan himself. People don't like to admit it, but that's what they worship, because you've got to worship something, and if you don't worship the Lord, there's only one other option, ultimately. Because you're either for him or you're against him. Amen? That's what Scripture plainly declares. You can't be one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord. You're one place or the other. And everybody worships something. And so they're saying, hey, we got an idea. And whoever petitions any God or any man for 30 days except you, anybody worships anybody but you, O king, because obviously you're the leader of the Medes and the Persians and you're put here and you're awesome. And we just think, you know, other than, you know, perhaps free medical care, it's you. She'll be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this decree and sign it in writing so that it cannot be changed. There's something you need to know about the media Persian Empire. Because it was governed the way it was governed, and because the king's authority was etched in stone, once a decree was made, it was not changeable even by the king. So once it's down, granite is what is written in. 
can't be changed. The only thing that you can do is write another law to circumvent it at some point in time. But the law itself stands. And so, it goes on to say, Sign it, put it in writing so that it cannot be changed, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And therefore King Darius signed the written decree. That sounds initially almost like a good idea, amen? Can I advise you that that's exactly how the world works? It sounds like a good idea. You know, it's really tolerant, so let's just change the definition of marriage to include anybody who wants to be married to anyone for any reason. Sounds like a good idea, but it's blatantly against God's law. Let's just change the definition of life so that it only begins once someone has proven themselves on earth, say they're one or two years old, and they really have their conscience beginning to develop. You see how this works? It sounds tolerant, because after all, you know, somebody could be under great financial pressure by bringing a baby into this world, and so it's probably better for everyone if we just terminate that mass of tissue. You see how it works? The enemy comes in, and it sounds like it's something good. It sounds like it will help. It sounds like something that the whole world would like and love. But really, it's the enemy just doing what he does, what Scripture plainly declares, that he is crafty in his wiles, that he knows how to phrase everything, and he is a master word manipulator. And so it says, King Darius signs it. As we look at this passage, can't you just see how the enemy works in virtually everything? He's at that place in our world of understanding, I believe, that his time is short. Now, if you're not a a fan of God and you realize that your time is short, what do you think you're going to try and do in those last days to the people who love God and who are going to spend eternity with God when you and your minions are going to be cast into the lake of fire? I would be doing all the hellishness that I could do. I would turn up the heat, and I would do everything I can to take as many people with me as I could. And that's exactly what the enemy of your souls is doing. As the world winds down, as our time here on this earth in the age of grace begins to get nearer to the end, the heat is going to be turned up. The pressure will be ratcheted in, and the world will become very divided. Do you see a very divided world? Because there's either those who love the Lord and those who don't. And there's not really much room for middle ground. And so people will cry out, oh, they're intolerant. Family of God, can I remind you that God is very, very intolerant. He hates sin. He's extremely intolerant. And so it is not tolerance that causes us to put up with anything and everything It is Satan himself that causes us to put up with anything and everything. Because if you don't stand for what God stands for, then you are precipitating the enemy's purposes and plans. It is that simple. And so, just like in this situation, who was motivating these guys to do this to Daniel? It wasn't just their idea. It was Satan's idea. 
It was demonic at its core. Turn, if you will, and I think it's just important we look at this passage. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, that way when you get there you can mark it up a little bit. In verse 10, it says, finally, my brethren, after Paul talks about the unity in the body of Christ, he talks about there being one faith and one Lord and one hope and one baptism in chapter 4. And as he unfolds these incredible riches that we have in Christ, as he pronounces in chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as he says these things and he looks at these, these Ephesian believers and he says to them, Finally, my brethren, you're immensely rich in Christ. There, there is one body and you're all part of it. And then at the end, he says to them, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen? Do you know why he says that? Because the battle ain't over until you take your last breath or the trumpet sounds. The war hasn't stopped just because you're part of the one body, just because you have the immense riches, just because you used to be dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're alive in Christ. The battle hasn't been extinguished. It's still going on. The fight's raging. Be strong, notice, in the Lord and the power of His might. And put on, notice this, why do you put on armor? I don't know about you, but if I were back in the days when people actually wore armor, I would put it on for exactly one reason, I thought I was going to war. Amen? It's the same reason we do it in the military. We don't have people drive around in tanks and armored vehicles because they're going to the zoo. Okay? Not really all that necessary. But if we have those tanks and we have those armored vehicles, people get inside of them because there is a very real and imminent threat. Amen? Same is true for your spiritual life. There is a very real and a very imminent threat. His name is Satan. He hates your guts. He wants to kill you. Notice what it says. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I guarantee you that Paul didn't put that in there because it sounded, you know, really mysterious. It's a real threat. He is a real enemy, a real foe, and he desires to destroy you and all that you hold dear. He wants to kill you if he can. He would love to give you such a headache and such a rough life that you think of taking your own life. He, he, he delights to do those types of things. That's his motive. Notice it says wiles here. It means cunning craftiness. That you might be able to stand against the cunning craftiness of Satan. His plans that are crafted and they are cunning. And when you think of cunning, it means deceptive. Against his deceptive, cunning, crafty plans to try and kill you. That's who is behind the governors and the satraps. That's who motivated them to go say, hey, you know, if anybody bows down, you're going to huck them in the lion's den. That's why I've entitled this Lessons from the Lion's Den Part 1. Because here's the lesson. You may all end up in a lion's den. And we're going to see what God does in in this place. For it says in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, you're not fighting against people. You're not fighting against the country. We're not at war with Muslim nations. We're at war with Satan. 
Satan is the one who's behind all this. Satan is the one that causes people to strap suicide belts to themselves and blow up innocent children. If you think any different, you are an idiot. I'm just being honest with you. No right-thinking person who has a modicum of sense says that the answer to dealing with somebody I've never even met is I pack myself with C4 with nails and ball bearings in it, and I go stand next to a school bus and I blow up innocent kids. If you can prove that to me, I will give you your due. But you can't. That is satanic at its core. It is demonic at its core. It is anti-Christ at its core. Christ brings life. Everything else brings death. Sounds harsh. Sounds narrow. It's because it is. It's very narrow. And God speaks very harshly against those who take the lives of innocent people. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So it's not suicide bombers. It's Satan that's influencing those suicide bombers to do those hideous things. But against principalities and powers, against the host of the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, in other words, demonic forces, demonic angels, demons that are still very real in our world, against hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Again, I encourage you later to read Job chapter 1. What you'll find is this, is that the angels of, of God, and in essence the angels of Satan and Satan himself, are going back and forth between the earth and heaven. They're real. Satan's got his guys too. They are fewer in number and far less powerful, but they're a whole lot more powerful than you are, or I am. They're a formidable foe. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, it is a reality that every child of God will one day have one of those days, which is an evil day, which something bad is going to come upon you that you will not have foreseen, that you will not have earned, that will happen to you specifically because you are a child of God, because Satan hates you and he is a real enemy and he wants to kill you. And because of that, just like with Daniel, who served the Lord for 66 years, is 81 years old, you would think he'd be immune, but he's not. And he's going to end up hucked in the lion's den. The good part of this comes in the second half of the chapter, by the way. The power of the Lord. But let's establish what's going on here. Having done all to stand, therefore stand. Because you're able. If you put on the armor, because you're God's children, because we have his power at our authority, because we can call upon the name of the Lord, we are the superior force. But it don't keep you out of the war. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, especially during the first Gulf War. Can you imagine what those poor Iraqis thought when they saw, you know, A-10 warthogs and Harrier jets and M1A1 Abrams tanks, and they're driving these old Soviet T-72s that can go about 20 miles an hour, and here comes an A-1 Abrams tank at 60 miles an hour with computer-controlled aiming devices on it, and they're driving by at 60, and the turrets are whipping around, just blowing them up at will. Far superior force, amen? I'm thinking that, you know, they're going, we better get out of here. 
That's you against the enemy. The enemy flees when you call upon the name of the Lord. You are a superior force, but it doesn't keep you out of the war. You still need to get engaged in the battle so that you can stand in that evil day. But you're on the winning side. The word devil simply means accuser. And that's what Satan does. Notice what these men are doing. They're accusing Daniel. They can't find anything to actually accuse him of, and so they make something up in the form and fashion because they know Daniel's a righteous man. You know what he does every morning? He gets up and bows down at his open window looking towards Jerusalem, and he prays. So they know exactly what they're doing, and they are counting, hear this, on Daniel's righteousness to be his doom from a world standpoint. Here's the good news. They can count on it all day long because Daniel is going to be righteous, but God is going to deliver. Amen? Satan, the word means adversary because he's the enemy of God. And so when you look at the things, the names that the enemy is called in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 4, he's called the tempter because he, he loves to kind of throw stuff out there and see if you'll bite on it. He's like the ultimate fisherman. I guarantee you his human tackle box has every lure in it imaginable. He goes in, oh, there's Jeff. I just need one of these. And he flips it out there in front of him. I'm like, whoa, cool. I don't know what that is, but i got to have it. He's, he's the tempter. In John chapter 8, he's called a murderer and a liar. These are character traits of the enemy. So he's an accuser, he's a deceiver, he's an adversary, he's a tempter, he's a murderer, he's a liar. Peter calls him a roaring lion. Genesis calls him a serpent. Second Corinthians calls him an angel of light. The God of this age is also in that, in that second letter to the church at Corinth. He's formidable. And so he stimulates these guys who are in Daniel's life. They witness what he's doing. They say, well, we can't have him doing that because he's better than we are. That means his God has more power than our God. We cannot have that. You ever wonder why everything in the world is pointed against the church and Bible-believing Christians? Because they can't handle what it shows them. When you live the truth, it shows the truth, the light goes on that situation, and all of a sudden they realize, hey, I'm on the wrong team. There's only two possibilities that you can come up with when that happens. You can either stay on the team that you're on and go to war, or you can be a traitor to the team and change sides. A lot of people change sides and say, you know what, Lord, I recognize who you are. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. They give their life to Christ. But the rest of them stay on the other team. And they're against you in a very real and very powerful way. They're like, we need to stop that right now because they're making us look bad. I guarantee you Budweiser don't stay in business from the Gill household. They, they go look at their books. They ain't going to find it. It's like, man, we ain't sold them no beer. They're looking to us to keep these stores that sell this gross stuff. It ain't happening. So what do they do? Because Pastor Jeff preaches the word of God and says, you know what? These things are not well-pleasing to the Lord. And because you guys didn't go live it, guess who's got a target on his forehead? Right here. The enemy hates you. Going to lie about you. Going to try and deceive people about you. Going to say all manner of things against you falsely because you're walking with the Lord. But know this, our God is greater, and he delivers. 
Notice Satan's little helpers here, those principalities, powers, those rulers of spiritual wickedness in high places. These are, these are the, the foot soldiers, if you will, of the enemy. It kind of suggests to us a demonic host that is wandering around the world looking to see what kind of mischief they can get into. Now, I don't know if you've been keeping tabs on some of this stuff going on in the Middle East, but can you imagine what it'd be like to look out your window outside of your front of your house and see a mob of maybe 10,000 18 to 25-year-olds burning everything in sight, coming down the street, shouting, shooting guns into the air, grabbing people off the street, beating the tar out of them, killing some of them, and then just simply moving down and destroying everything in their path. That would be pretty frightening, wouldn't it? Do you realize that Satan has his minions doing that every day against you? You just don't see it because it's fought in the spiritual realm. That same process is underway in our world. The enemy hates your guts. He's got his mob that is roaming around the earth trying to do everything they can to scare the living tar out of you. So that when you look out of your window of your spiritual home, all you say, man, the whole world's against me. It's on fire. I need to, remember what I said, change sides. You see, because you can go back and forth. Not saying you can lose your salvation, but you can certainly say, I'm going to give in to that temptation. I'm going to engage in that behavior myself. And then you wake up one day and go, why did I do that? You, you see, what's happening here is the enemy of your soul is working day and night to scare you to death, to try and tell you, hey, you're on the losing team. You see how many men we got out here? Man, look at all the people that believe the other way. Look at how many people are for these things that you as Christians can't be for because God's Word specifically says you can't be for them. Because if you're on God's team, you're for what God's for. Amen? You love what He loves, you hate what He hates. His Word's clear. You don't get a choice. Now, you can pick and choose which one of those things you're obedient to, but as far as your commander, your commander says, you love what I love and you hate what I hate. Period. That's the deal. You're in God's army. You're in his military. The other army is a ragtag band of guys that run around trying to act like they're more powerful than they are. I guarantee you, one helicopter gunship flies over 10,000 of those guys, trains its weapons on them, fires a little burst down the middle of the street. Guess what they're going to do? We're out of here. Far superior firepower, okay, is brought to bear on this bunch of guys that got some flags they're burning and they're running around with flares going, ooh, we're bad. That's kind of how the enemy is. That's all he can do. He doesn't have any real power over you, but he can make it look like he's got real power and you need to call down the firepower of the Lord upon that, that ragtag band. You say, you know what? I ain't taking it. In the name of Jesus, because of who I am in Christ, you don't have any power. Even if you kill me, I win. You lose. Daniel is sitting here underneath all of this going, man, I'm 81 years old. I have fought the fight. I'm near finishing the race. And I guarantee you, the moment he begins to pray, and the moment those people go, look, there he is praying. He's just completely denied the law that you see. That's what kind of person he is. See, you know, those Christians, they keep saying that, you know, we we, we got to live another way. Trying to get you to change your mind. 
trying to force you to seek solace in the other side. See, that spiritual battle is going on. It's in the sphere, notice this, of the heavenlies, according to Ephesians chapter 6. It's not a visible battle. You're not going to open up, you know, some people will say, well, you know, I saw this and I saw that. That's a figure of speech. It's real. We experience it, but we don't see it. It's around us every day because it's taking place in the heavenlies. All of a sudden, that mob shows up at your house. What do you think God's response is? He sends his guys. There's a war. And they're duking it out. And you're in the middle of it. And there's some gunfire. Every once in a while, a bullet strikes home. You get hit. Just like Daniel's about to get hit. During Paul's ministry, <laughs> he goes to Ephesus and he starts a riot. He's just going to preach the gospel. Shows up and the silversmiths go crazy. You see, it wasn't just caused by Demetrius. It was caused by Satan encouraging Demetrius to encourage other people who don't know the Lord to go get that Paul. Because you know what's going to happen? We're not going to be able to make our idols like we used to do. It's going to cut into our bottom line, and we need to deal with this right now. That's the way Satan works. He can only come after the physical things, but it is a spiritual battle. He can come after your body. Again, read the book of Job. He can come after your house. He can come after your kids. He can come after everything you own, save one thing that God alone controls. For it is appointed unto man one time to die, and then judgment. God determines when you exit this earth, and you will not leave it one second too soon. But see, Satan says, see, look how powerful I am. Do you really want to believe that I can't get to you? And some people cave into that pressure. Keep fighting. These men were cunning. They were crafty, exactly as Ephesians 6 declares Satan to be. And so Daniel was under attack. So don't think that you're immune to it. You remember in Luke chapter 22, the Lord said to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has, has sought, he has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, and that you have returned to me and strengthen your brethren. Amen? You see, the enemy wants to sift you. He wants to attack you. He wants to accuse you. He wants to do whatever he can. But Jesus is going, ah, mm -mm, not so fast. Only as far as he allows. And if he allows something that's not good, he also allows it for a reason, for a purpose. Because he's not capricious and he's not mad at you. John chapter 8 and verse 44, it says there, For he, being Satan, from the beginning was a murderer, not holding the truth. For there's no truth in him. And when he lies, I love what the New Living says, he speaks his native tongue. It's what he says. Not because he needs to fabricate it. That's who he is. You ever met somebody who's a habitual you know, liar that just can't tell the truth? They're pretty slick, amen? You're kind of sitting there listening, going, hmm, yeah, I think that may be true. It's how sick. Now imagine that you're, you're, you're the commander of the other army. He's slick. His words will make sense. You're going, really? Okay. All right, I'll leave my wife. I'll ditch my husband. Yeah, well, you told me I should. 
He's a liar. And you see how this translates into our passage. For the royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed. What is that? It's a lie, isn't it? Who didn't agree? Daniel, the third most powerful guy in the whole country. Daniel did not agree with them. But they said, oh, we all agreed. Daniel agreed with us because the word all means all. Daniel didn't agree with them. So the whole thing was was based on a lie. Now, O king, issue the decree. Put forth in writing so that it can't be altered. They were drunk not with wine. They were drunk with power. They were drunk with flattery. You see, you can be drunk in a lot of different ways. They anticipated the the praise and the adulation. Can you imagine, you know, Darius is sitting on his throne, and he's like, all these people come in, the most powerful people in the world at that time, and they go, oh, great King Darius, you're awesome, you're amazing, and everything you say is wonderful, and oh, by the way, we want to kill Daniel. They probably would, he wouldn't have gone for that, amen? So what do they do? They come in and they lie. They, they build up the story. They build up his the flattery towards him. They tell him all kinds of puffy things, and then they throw something out there that's about that far from the truth. Amen? Not the truth. It's still a lie. It's got some truth in it, because all at that point in time meant everybody but Daniel. That's still a lie. But it's also partially true, isn't it? That's how Satan works. He mixes a whole bunch of truth with a little bit of lie, so that you can't see the lie that's in there, and then you bite on it. Like the old cookie joke. Yeah, here's the cookies. You know, there's 80 of them there on the plate, and only one of them has poison in it. Go ahead and have all you want. I don't know which one has poison in it, by the way. It's the same deal. Notice the attitude of Daniel. We'll wrap this up tonight. And now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. Check this passage out. And now when Daniel knew it was signed, he knew it was signed. What would have been the logical response of somebody who really wasn't walking all that hard with the Lord? He would have gone home, closed the windows, and stopped praying. Amen? We'd just gone home, well, you know, they got me this one. (laughs) You know, can't be praying anymore. After all, that'll put me in jail. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees, not once, not in secret behind closed doors, not where nobody could see him, because remember, they didn't have, you know, like Mr. Shade on there. They didn't have tinted glass. They were big holes in the wall that everybody could look through. He was in the middle of the royal palace, someplace in the compound. Lots going on. Daniel goes into his house. He goes into his prayer closet, and he says, you know what, God, I still trust you. And I'm going to pray. And he knelt down on his knees three times a day, not once, but three times, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom. Notice this, in the early days. He said, I ain't changing for nobody. I don't care what law they just passed. I don't care whether it's now illegal to pray or not. I'm going to keep doing what God told me to do, and I'm going to pray. That kind of boldness. That's how you fight a spiritual fight. That's what you do in response to those false accusations and those untruths. 
You don't back down. You go, don't go get in the closet somewhere and go, oh, I'm scared. You go, you know what? God says, that's what I believe. I'm doing that. Oh, is that hard? Yes, it is. Is that dangerous? Yes, it is. Will that likely cost you? Yes, it likely will. But it will never cost you more than you'll gain. You will always come out on the winning side. And so as Daniel begins this unbelievable, fearless prayer life, he was the light to the world. He wasn't going to put out the light. He had the practice of prayer. He had knew that there was power in that prayer. He basically had seen God do this before, and there was no reason to believe God wouldn't do it again. That's a man who's awesome in prayer. That's a woman who's awesome in prayer. God rewards that thankful, that dependent heart. God says, you know what? You keep praying, and I'll keep answering. You keep trusting, I'll be faithful. See, it's God's part to be faithful, amen? Your job's just to pray. You don't have to make it happen. God makes it happen. Tests, trials, temptations continued. They they besieged this aged saint, and we're going to see that as we pick up next time. Whether Daniel was absent or not required, remember to bow down before that golden statue on the plains of Dura. He'd been here before. He'd already seen God work miracles. And he's still trusting God for a miracle. How many times do we say, well, I've used up all my miracles? I've actually heard Christians say that. Well, I think I've used up all my miracles. That's usually because we're extra knuckleheadedness somewhere in there. We're we're like, you know, we know that we've been kind of not too swift at times, and so we figure, well, God's going to get me this time. It's not his character. It's not his nature. He's for you, period. He's for you. He's not against you. He's for you. Daniel's a man of courage. No matter what Daniel faced, he stood for the Lord. And so verse 11, and we'll end with this tonight. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. May we be found making supplication before our God no matter what happens. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, for the things that you're allowing in our lives even now, and Lord, for the tests, the trials, the tribulations that we go through, Lord, because we know that the testing of our faith produces patience, and patience, when it has its perfect work, finds us complete and lacking nothing. And Lord, we love you. We are indebted to you for eternity, and we know that you are faithful. Help us to be faithful as you are faithful. Lord, help us to knock on the doors of heaven instead of the doors of that worldly council. Lord, help us to seek to fight the good fight, Lord, in the heavenlies and not just simply with our resources or our mind or our physical strength. God, we love you. We we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for this incredible picture that you've painted for us in the life of this saint. Lord, we can't wait to meet him when we get to heaven. Uh, Lord, we bless you for your goodness to us, and we pray that you would strengthen us for the battles that lie ahead. Lord, cause us to walk in victory with our heads held high. We love you. We thank you. We bless you. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.